you guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. I'm so excited about this one for a bunch of different reasons. Um, you guys know I started my career in sales, like back when I was peddling candy for the baseball team and then car sales. I actually have a true professional of the sales craft, but more importantly, a really good human because it's always hard to get to know these guys on social media or on you know different conferences and events. But I got to spend some time with our next guest, um, kind of like when there was no cameras rolling, when there was nothing happening. And I found that there's like a lot more of a human behind just like overcoming objections and, and asking the right questions through the sales process. So this next guest, he's got an amazing career. I want to hear all about it, but I really want to get to know him as the person. Uh, it's my friend Chuck Toki. Welcome to the show, Mr. Toki. Thanks so much, Benny, man. It is a pleasure being with you. Yeah, this is awesome. So, yeah, I already introduced you as the sales guru. So enough about that. So tell me about Chuck. Like, where are you? Where were you born originally? Where are you from? How'd you grow up? Tell me about the uh, Chuck from like zero to eighteen. Man, I tell you, my the first sixteen years of my life, I never left Ohio. I mean, that's uh, I was born and raised here in Ohio, uh, for the most part, Dayton, Ohio. Dude, and you're a flyer. I am a flyer. I'm from yeah. Canton, Ohio. I don't know if you knew that. Did you Did you remember I'm from I Canton, Ohio? I was born in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, you Streetsboro. Were? Yeah. Oh, Streetsboro. And Streetsboro and my uh, all my family's from North Canton. Oh, so, North yeah. Canton. Yeah, my mom yeah. lives in North Canton. Yeah, my sister lives in North. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, the, all over Ohio is is kind of my thing, but um, you know, not very few people know that. I actually tried to act and model when I was uh, younger. Um, we got good you know, skin, man. I mean, you do. I mean, like, I don't know how old you are. I know you're older than me. Just because I see, I see, huh? Forty-five, man. Yeah, I mean, but like, you look, you look like you're thirty-five. I, oh man, thank you. My wife would not say that. <laughs> really? Well, we got to get her on the podcast next. If she likes this episode, we're gonna get we're gonna get the misses on to see the. Oh, she'd love story. to. Yes. <laughs> So that's what I mean. You got to be on. You got to be open and honest, man, because we're going to send this to the wife and she knows you inside and out. So uh, so what was like, what did your parents do for a living? How many brothers and sisters? Give us a little bit about like what it was like growing up in Dayton. Yeah, so I've got uh, I've got two sisters. Um, one of them is a dentist and the other one lives here in Ohio. Um, she works at a place called Green Token. And then my brother is kind of a spree, uh, free spirited guy, followed the Grateful Dead around. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he would he would uh, sell spaghetti at Grateful Dead to make a living. And uh, he'd just, also just go and pack those trucks, the big yellow, the, the semi trucks. He would go pack those just for food uh, and just money to, to move around and follow the Grateful Dead around. So I uh, love my brother. But, Are you the uh, oldest, the youngest, the middle? I'm the youngest. Okay, yeah. so you're the baby. Yeah, my parents are in their 80s. So oh, yeah. wow. What did your <laughs> uh, what'd your dad do for a living? So he owned his own business. He was a photographer. He was one okay. of the top photographers in Ohio. So like, did he do the kind of photography like for schools and stuff? Like back, like the yeah. old school photography where they set up like at the schools and they come in and like, yeah, because yeah, back he in would the old do days, the like school it wasn't pictures like it and the prom pictures and he would even do the sports and I would sit in the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the dark room and I would uh -huh. develop all the pictures. 
That's a cool thing. I that remember doing, my, I took no. a photography class in high school, man, where there was a dark room and we got to hang the stuff up and you don't have to watch it. We learned all about like old cameras. And I mean, it's an interesting, you know, kids nowadays, they have no concept of like old cameras, photography. Like they, they, you know, they whip out the iPhone and then it's like, oh yeah, instant. Your dad probably, your dad probably gets sick to his stomach. He's like, that's not oh. photography. He, it's funny to listen to him because he's like, well, everybody's a photographer these days. <laughs> yeah, we got out at the right time. You know, now they made it a yeah. commodity, right? Like, <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's he's eighty some years old and still takes his camera out, starts snapping pictures, and it's. Did fun he to have? Um, was he kind of like a one man band, or did he have like a couple helpers, or like? It was me and my sister that would help. And, so it wasn't uh, like some developed business, like the businesses that me and you work in today. Like it was more like the old school kind, where like we're like it's just all family, right? Like. He would get so mad at me. I'd go to these proms with him, and I'd have to hold the light so that when the flash uh, hit, well, these hot chicks were walking around the prom, and I'm going like this, and he's like, "Would you just point the light this way?" Yeah, you can't even do your job. Yeah, you're like a shiny object. Well, I see you doing a lot now. Like you know, you're, I can see you developing your personal brand a little bit, and I watch you on camera, and I, I know that you're getting into it. A little. It probably takes you back to those those days with your dad and like hanging out and cause you yeah. didn't even know what you didn't know. Right. And now look, and, and, and me is, I was in the, um, I grew up in the, you know, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, but like, you know, VHS tapes, I would edit tapes like on VHS and at my church, like, you know, on like one inch reels. And I was more into the video side than the photography side. Mm-hmm. But I just remember doing all that on the old school equipment. Now these kids use Adobe and like all this digital stuff and Photoshop. And it's like, man, it's like, it's, I don't even want to learn how to do it. So I just pay them to do it. You don't even have to be good anymore. You just have to know how to edit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now they have apps too that like do half of it for you. So, yeah. but, um, so what was it like growing up with a dad who's like self-employed, you know, like did he, how did he get all of his jobs? Was it just reputation one at a time? Like the old fashioned way? Was he like a great salesman or like, he was not a good salesman, man. He, uh, (laughs) there was a time where things got a little tight. So he went on the road to sell, um, was it picture frames? And I got my first lesson in sales. We went up towards Canton. It was in Canton or Akron. And we went into this guy's photography shop and he, this guy took me under his wing. He says, I'm going to give you a, a sales lesson right now. He says, no matter who walks in my shop, they're going to buy something if it's not the tie off my neck. And I, I always remembered that ever since I walked in that guy's place. And I do the same thing today. I still preach that, you know, what, 30, 40 years later. So that's awesome. And then, awesome. um, yeah, because you remember uh, that, right? Like, you remember that. And you're yeah. like, I want to, like, yeah. that dad, you need to be more like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need I want a new car. I want, I want you to buy me a new car. I want you to buy me a new car. I want you to buy me this. Like, dad, you gotta go out and hustle more. <laughs> my my dad was uh he was an entrepreneur. Um he was a businessman, but uh he'd always complained that everybody always wanted the guy from out of town. He could never get the people in the town ta- in the town he was in. It's always the people from out of town, and then those folks went out of town to get there. It was crazy to listen to him sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, who wants to drive three hours to Canton or Akron to, like, you know, get work, right? Like, Yeah, that's right. What uh, would your mom do? Did your mom stay at home or did your mom, uh, she, did she work? She was an executive at NCR, National oh, Cash Oh, wow. Ministry. So you yeah. had two high, you had two parents that were kind of kicking butt, man. Like, that's, that's yeah. pretty, that's, you got a good start at life then, I, I would say. I definitely had some role models, that's for sure. That's awesome, man. 
My, well, my dad was never home. You know? Like I'm never home. And then my mom was a hard worker. Same here. So what was like, maybe like, what was like struggle for you? Like, what was like, what was it like for Chuck? What Chuck think a struggle was back? Like, you know, when he was a kid, like, what, like, what was like, what was a tough time for Chuck when he was a kid? Oh man. A lot of my youth was a struggle, not because of money or anything. It was because of school. Um, I, I was in learning disabled classes all the way through school. Um, I was actually labeled EMR. Uh, which Tell is, me what that is. EMR stands for educably mentally retarded. Today really? they Yeah, today they call it ADHD. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I mean. So I'm just a few years younger than you, right? Like you're 45 yeah. and 41. I was born in 81. Yeah. I was diagnosed with ADHD in 1988 or 89. So I think that was like one of the, like, that's when it started like to like, maybe they made the shift or something. Right. Um, my mom decided never to put me on the drugs, which, you know, I look back and think like, well, like, I'm glad I didn't do that. I would have probably made it through school a little bit easier, but I would have never turned out to, you know, but I you know, it took 40 years to figure this out. Like it was a good thing. You know, it was a big hard road of struggle. Um, so me and you have that in common. Uh, so what was that like? What was it like for the teachers? What was it like for the parents? What was it like for the other kids? Like talk a little bit about that. Cause I've talked about that on a couple of my podcasts. It was, you know, it was tough um, until I got the opportunity to go to the JBS. Now, I was always Wait, told. Wait, what's that? Tell, tell me what these Joint vocational are. school. That's okay. where you go. Yeah, that's, juniors, where, they go, that's where they hide kids, right? Like they, like they don't know what to do with, right? Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned it because that's exactly what we were always told. So when we went, I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's a free day. There's no way I'm going because that's what I've always heard. Until we went through this, we, we went through a... Um, the the new program, which is the engineering program. And when we were going through it, they even looked at me and said, Chuck, this isn't for you. Don't worry about it, man. We're just going to walk through here. And that's the one that I got excited about. And when we got back, I says, that, that's the one I want. And they're like, you did, you did hear that the guy said this is for gifted kids. And I says, I don't care. You guys have I've failed everything else. If I fail that test, it's just one more test that I fail. And I actually passed the test. I barely but I, I passed it with a, a very thin margin and uh, went into it. And I mean, I still, you know, I graduated in the half that made the top half possible, but I, I got through it. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it, man. Well, see, we can look back and laugh about it now, but I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure like inside, like if you're anything like me or like, man, why can I not like, why do I feel like a disappointment at school? Why do I feel like a disappointment to my parents? Your brother, your, 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 you probably, your sisters were probably like, you know, I don't know, like the chosen children, right? Like if it was, <laughs> yeah. like I had two sisters, like, you know, I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah, the struggle's real, man. Like when you're going through it and nowadays, you know, um, the school systems are so much better. Like the the teachers like know how to deal with this so much better than they did back then. Cause in the eighties, man, the teachers were not equipped. Just like the parents weren't equipped to deal with kids like us. Yeah. You know, and you're, and I know this, you know, I hope you don't mind me sharing this with the audience. You know, you're more introverted. I'm more extroverted. That's true. Right. And so like with introverts, you know, you probably keep a lot more stuff inside. So the struggles inside more. Me, I was like, like, like I would like show, I would try to like, you know. I would try to get everybody to like me. And then I would like push too hard. I like the, the, the gas and the brake pedal. Like the gas was always on. The brakes didn't know how to work. Like it was, it was really clunky really for almost 40 years. So, um, and I was the guy in the corner that wouldn't talk. 
Right, which is like the one that they're worried about, right? You're the one. You're the one that they're worried about shooting up the schools and stuff like that, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you not to make a joke. Not to make a joke about that, but like, I mean, like the quiet ones are the the scary ones, like yeah. especially the ones that like aren't considered smart, right? Like, you know, even though I know you, like, because I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years, you're smart on the things you want to be smart about. Like yeah. when you when you're interested in something, like your IQ goes all the way up. <laughs> You know, and it's even it, it, the as often as I'll, I'll talk in uh, the high schools and colleges, I mention this because what people hear next is that I was one of the youngest aerospace engineers in the country at age 19. So going wait, from... What? Wait, hold on a second. We didn't get to that part yet. That's a bombshell. Yeah, yeah. And you're I was dating, an aerospace you know, you're up there did you get the Wilbur and Orville Wright scholarship or something for that? Or like what? Like I was at the Air and Space Museum. I learned a lot about Orville and Wilbur from Dayton, Ohio. So, yeah. So I mean, I, uh, I when I went through that program, it was a uh, electronic engineering program. So then from there, I was supposed to go into college, and I went in for like a half a probably half a quarter. Until I realized that college just wasn't for me. You made and you made it. A, you made half a quarter. What is that? Six weeks? Eight weeks? That was about six weeks, and all you I made could it think four about weeks was longer than me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I went. Man, to, I, I went to Cat Reed, Cat Wright, Cat State <laughs> for like two weeks. <laughs> I uh, I actually met my current wife at. Uh, and I I feel that I was supposed to go to college for that six weeks just to meet her. Now she was uh, she was going out with a good friend of mine. So I didn't date her then. I didn't date her for gosh, five, six years after that. And yeah, well, that was uh, before the social media, but at least you made contact. You knew who she was. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So like, what was that transition? Like, um, being the youngest, like, you know, and I think, think you mentioned, you said one of your sisters is a dentist and like, she obviously probably went to college, right? Like, you know, she and did, she's yeah. probably, like, and she's, you know, is she the one that like, everybody's like, Oh, wow. You gotta like, at least, you know, you gotta at least be as good as her. If you like, if you're not, you're a failure, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> she, she's the darling of the, uh, the family. That's for sure. Everybody loves Kathy. Yeah, well, everybody loves Chuck and his ability to be able to influence now. So uh, I think that you're you're catching up, right? Like you're, you're you're catching up. It just took a while, right? It it did take a bit, but yeah. So uh, I I went out and got into contracting in aerospace. I started out stringing wires through aircraft, and then um, I once I started moving around the United States. Long story short. I got into where I even asked, I said, Hey, I want to go in. I want to start testing the aircraft. And so they let me, they moved me into that department and I was fixing the aircraft faster than anybody else. And, um, then, cause I would write everything down. If I, I still to this day, I had to go to what we call a remarkable because I can't, my wife will not let me get another notebook. <laughs> me like I, like as much as like everybody thinks i'm like mr technology and i like like all that stuff like i'm still kind of old school man don't tell anybody um i still <laughs> like to write on the paper but uh so i would write everything down so i would write the problem down and when i fixed it i'd write it down so when i what i uh, realized with the people that were building the aircraft they're making the same mistakes because it's the same people building it so they would come back around to us 
And so when I figured that out, I went to my manager and I says, Hey, I want the next three aircraft and I want to be able to choose my people. And I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to go at these aircraft. And, uh, they said, well, yeah, go ahead, get your people. You figure out who you want on your team and you can have the next three aircraft. Well, we got these things out. So it usually takes three months to, for an aircraft to go from the back of the hangar to the front of the hangar to go to flight. And um, we got three of them out in three weeks. And so the following week after we got those out, uh, Jim Ziegler, the president of Learjet at the time, he comes over, he taps me on the shoulder. I've only seen him in magazines. I've never actually seen the guy in person. He taps me on the shoulder. He goes, are you Chuck Toki? And I'm like, Man, they really bring the big guns when they're going to let you go. <laughs> and uh, so he uh, he let it, he let me know. He said, "You just saved the company thirty some million dollars." And I was like, "Can I have half of that?" <laughs> Dude, take one percent, bro. Don't go for half. Like you kid, you young kid. You look at you young kid trying to go for fifty percent, man. Like the old man, you now is like one percent. I'll take one percent. <laughs> so you're a problem solver so you realize that at a yeah. young age probably that you were you probably didn't even realize it until that guy was like you just solved a 30 million dollar problem so he um he helped me get into the engineering department which the faa was not gonna have and so they gave me some crazy college schedule that um it was all like the phd level classes yeah uh that i had to take and so it was it was crazy but ultimately we got them done and uh i and you'll see me walk around i got the the engineering ring on my finger uh because it's it it was harder for me a lot of the guys that i worked with are all out of mit and here i am like you know six weeks of sinclair yeah, and like that guy was probably like, "Hey, listen, what are we gonna do to get Chuck to pass these tests so that way we can get him like that way we can get him like you know solving problems again?" Because back then they weren't creative enough to realize like, dude, like he could just be a consultant. He don't have to have the degree. Like he just got he just needs to like he, yeah like it was yeah. so backwards back then, man. Like and it, you know what it made guys like me and you feel like we weren't good enough. Yeah. Right, like we're like we're like the black sheep, like, and then that leads. Did that lead to any like? What? Tell me about like what happens when like, when you go home, like back in those days, like how did you feel? Like, tell me about how you felt, and like tell me like what that did to you as a man. I grew up fast, so the the girl that I was dating, well, which is my ex wife now, but um, everybody I worked with was in their thirties, and everybody's married, so I thought. Hey, it's time to just go ahead and get married. And I was only 21 when uh, when I got married the first time, which I, I even tell my kids right now, I says, well, wait until at least you're like 25 or 28. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you yeah, know, girls can go younger. The... Guys need to be older. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was always in a plane somewhere and they said we had AIDS, airborne induced divorce syndrome. And it, it's true. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I think I'm starting to realize where the top rep comes from. Yeah. Like the flight school. Yeah. And like the whole, yep. like, I'm assuming that was all you coming up with that. Yeah. Especially not from Dayton. I mean, like knowing like me taking Sammy to Washington DC and learning all about like my nine year old knows more about Wilbur and Orville, Wright, Like from like the YouTube and all the stuff, all the info stuff that they show in these things. So it had to be a great place to grow up as a kid in that and like liking that, right? Like that had to like It was good. I yeah. I still love it here, man. I I came back after living all over the United States and Canada. I 
Um, when, uh, when we built the, uh, the continental jet, um, I, I lived in Canada for six months while we built that. And, and I still came back to the, the States and, and, uh, came right back to Dayton, Ohio. So like, so like, as you're going through this and you're struggling to kind of like, just keep passing tests and trying to like, do what they say you got to do, follow all the rules. Right. Like, and you know, then you're also trying to get married because you think it's the right thing to do. Like, what, like, how did that, like, where, did you ever feel conflict? Like, where, like, just something just didn't seem like, I wasn't, like, living in my, like, best, like, space? Well. I felt like that a lot, so. When, when I really felt uncomfortable is when 9-11 happened and uh, we all kind of got laid off. We... I was on the cover of a lot of the aerospace magazines, so I was kind of passed around through a lot of the aerospace companies. So I went from from uh, Learjet to Raytheon to Airbus, and and uh, so. But finally, my wife at the time says, "We just need to go back to Ohio. You know, this is crazy. We need to go back." And at that point, I I went from making amazing income to I lived where nobody should have to live, uh, and. Can you give me an idea like what an amazing income looks like back in like 2001? So back then, uh, I mean, I was making just a little bit over maybe 110,000. That's good money back in 2001. Back I mean, like then that's it was like great. yeah, you're like you're in the like you're in the top, man. Like that's that's yeah. good money, especially being that young and and yeah. we didn't have what all the young kids have today. I mean, you would still have to work your way up. Today, right. you know, you can be a millionaire some coming out of high school it seems like. But um you know, but we, when I came back, I was still trying to find a job. I literally had to work third shift in a meat packing plant. I had to lie to get the job because if I had said that I was a, uh, an engineer, they would never have given me the job. And so what I did, because I, I was applying for jobs all over the place, everybody kept telling me, oh, you're overqualified, you're overqualified. So finally, I just put janitor on the application and got a job running a forklift around picking up meat and this is where things get fun uh, i was uh, i, I kind of kept to myself again introvert i kind of kept to myself and for whatever reason the plant manager kind of took to me so when uh, and this was all third shift so he was working third shift too and he would come in and see me in the break room he'd come down sit next to me he's got a suit on and i've got an eskimo suit on because it's in a freezer and uh, he would sit there and talk, and I, I looked over and I says, you don't look very happy. What's going on? And he says, man, they got this thing called Six Sigma. He says, I just can't seem to figure this thing out. I lied to get in there, so and I've got a black belt in Six Sigma. And I'm sitting there like, what's that? You know? <laughs> and finally, after about a week of watching him kick his can, I says, look, I got to share with you. I says, I know Six Sigma, and I know it because, and I went through, let him know I have a black belt in Six Sigma. I know lean uh, manufacturing very well, and uh, I was fired the next day. So here, take me back a second. I, why did you, was it the wife, was it you and the wife that just didn't like traveling anymore? Is that why you got out of like that? Or is it like, were, like, why did you get out of that? Like, why did you have to go back to Dayton? She was, she was very close to her parents. Okay, so it was more and of a family thing. You didn't really like being there anyway. And there was no jobs in Dayton for you in the in the aerospace world, unless I wanted to go and work at um, at uh, behind a desk, which I don't do very well behind a desk. 
Yeah, I can tell. Me neither. <laughs> so I, I'm not that type of engineer. I mean, I've got to be out on the floor. I've got to keep doing something. Mm. Uh, so. All right, so that makes sense. I just want to make sure, so I, I, because I lost that for a second. All right, so then you gotta go get a job. As soon as you tell them the truth, you get fired, which which is crazy. I, I literally, we sat there. I, I spent my the uh, last part of my uh, day or my shift teaching him Six Sigma. I mean, going from from the start all the way through to where he could go in and pass this test that he needs to take, and then he uh, lets me go the next day. And I came in, I says, I, I says, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because if you don't fire me, then, because I am a, if, if you ask me, says, Chuck, what is your biggest downfall? It's how loyal I am. I would still be there today if he wouldn't have let me go. Hey, listen, I say that to just about, I mean, I've been fired from every job I ever had. There's not a job that I ever quit. I've been fired yep. from every job. I'm trying to think. Oh, you know what? I did go work at Sugardale. Do you know Sugardale, the hot dog company? Like, like I've not heard of that. Sugar, like they bake in hot dogs. It's in Canton, Ohio. There's a plant. You know, my mom wanted me to get a real job. So like I, you know, this is after like <laughs> this is after like a uh, this is like after I quit college before I found the car dealership job. I worked at this meat packing plant and had to put like these weird clothes on, go down to a basement. It was gross, disgusting because my grandpa worked there while he was a farmer back in the old days. So like, I'm like, Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Cause I'm not going to go to college. Yeah, that was nuts. And that's when I saw the ad for the car dealership on the lunch table. And I said, see, that was the only job I ever quit. I think. And like the rest of them, I got fired from. <laughs> Cause I'd still be there. Yeah. Yeah. And loyal I, to loyal to a fault. <laughs> It's you're exactly right. And, uh, but again, that led me to, uh, I started my, I can't say I started my sales career cause I mean, I sold other things, but, um, at that point, my sales career was selling a life and health insurance to self-employed. What I didn't know is that I was selling sick insurance to healthy people. And, you know, I was one of the best at it. I was number two in the country and then went to uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield Anthem and was one of the top sellers there. And my, uh, my wife at the time, because I told her, I says, I got I to gotta get out of this. She goes, you're making killer money. I says, I am bored out of my mind. I hated selling insurance. And so so, why did, so why, what attracted you to that job in the first place? You just needed a job and you'll it, take anything? And back then, I remember how that game worked. Like, it was almost like they're going to hire, they're going to try to get a thousand people to come and then like, you know, one guy is going to make it, right? Like, that's like, yeah, that was like their filtration process. Well, so I wanted to be in sales so bad. And the reason why is because when I was uh, at Learjet, I would work with the sales department because the sales team there, if uh, if you were to ride with a customer and, and do a test ride, uh, engineer had to be on board to answer any technical questions. Well, the other engineers hated the sales team. I loved them. And so when I was when I was with them, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. So then when I got out of it and uh, I, I kept saying I was buying my time to go back into Learjet. Could you tell uh, those they, guys were making more money? Did you know they were making more money than the engineers? Oh, they were making five times as much. They were saying, driving you knew it. in. Like, and, it was it was like it was kind of like obvious, too. Right. Like like everybody knew. That was the first time I ever uh, saw a Ferrari, and they were lined up. Ferraris. Yeah, and so uh, you're like, dude, I know more than them, and I can do it better than them. Because the engineer inside of you said, dude, I can do this, right? Like, you're like, I should have yeah. a Ferrari, right? Yeah, no, I get it. I'm starting to, I'm starting to now understand the Chuck that we all know. 
in the roofing space and coaching <laughs> salespeople on how to sell and training sales managers on how to manage. Like this is the engineer. This is the, this is the high C organized precision, like process mixed with like, Hey, I got to turn the influence on only because I need it a little bit. Not That's because right. I'm naturally like that, because I know it's a skill set that I'm going to, I, I got to be trained on. That is absolutely true. Yeah, no, I, I see it now. I didn't know that part about you. So like that, that helps me complete the whole puzzle. Cause I was always wondering like, where does this precision come from? Because like, I know what it takes to be like a, like a master, like a master salesperson. And then also then the whole other thing is a master manager, like a sales manager and a sales coach. Like it's a whole different and like that is where like the precision in the organization, because you can get by salespeople can get by a lot of times on, you know, you know, a lot of them think they can get by on talent and like, you know, they're willing, you know, you know being, not, you know, they're marketers really in masks and masks, you know, they're not really salespeople. They're just, they're marketers. And you hit the nail on the head. Cause this is one of the reasons why I get frustrated with so many of the sales leaders today is they, most sales leaders shouldn't be sales leaders. Uh, they were just really good sales reps where the owner thought that they could clone them. And well, cause the owners don't know anything about sales they don't. most of the time or leadership or management, right? Cause it's like most of them, most founders, especially roofing companies are guys that are either good sales guys or good roofers, you know, that just like happened to have a needed a job because they got fired or because their grandpa and dad was always in it. And like, that's all they ever know. You know, yep. or yeah, it's like that's nobody ever just picks roofing, do they? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> nobody graduates. Well, they are now, though. You know what's crazy? Now they are, though. There's a lot of smart guys. Wall Street guys are picking roofing now. Yeah, that's and now, true. And now guys like me and you are like, yeah, dude, we got lucky. We're in the roofing world now. Like, now it's cool <laughs> to be in the roofing industry now. But, but like, I know when I first started, dude, I was like, I don't tell anybody I'm in a roofing world. <laughs> <laughs> I I left uh, I left the insurance world to go into mortgage. Now that was fun. I did that. For, I did that. I did that at GE Money, and like man, I didn't I know what it. I was doing. But I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was young, and like they just trained me on how to do telephone like sales. It was all over the telephone. Like, tell me what your experience was like with mortgages. Did you do stuff all over the country, like over the phone, or did you just do stuff local? So I started doing stuff local, and then I one thing I'm really good at. And it doesn't sound like it, but I'm really good at networking and just getting to know the right people. Because I can scan a room and decide I need to talk to this person, I need to talk to that person. Um, so I got in really well and really good with some of the uh, folks from uh, Wells Fargo. And I asked them, I said, what do you guys do with all your turndowns? And she goes, nothing. I says, do you mind sending them over to me? And within two months, I was one of the top uh, closers in the country for mortgage. I mean, I had people that were manning phones because I couldn't do them fast enough. But I had uh, I had them sending me every one of their turndowns. Were you um, so? What was this before the crash in two thousand eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I was in too. So like GE, I was in GE Money. I was uh, I got fired from every car sales job. So I'm like, oh, I'll get a stable job at GE General Electric, doing credit card collections over the phone. And then I saw a job posting for mortgages. And I'm like, yeah, commission, man. Like, I want to get back into it. My mom's like, no, man. Like, that's not a good job. <laughs> like, that's like, you know, that's too risky. And, you know, and again, I was like, no, mom, I'm still wearing a headset. I'm still in front of a computer. Like, I'm not leaving the cubicle. And now I look back. We were doing interest only, balloon payments, California stuff, state and income, like all this crazy stuff that I didn't know. I was just a 24, 25-year-old kid. Um 
But now I look back and I'm like, wow, that's the reason that's the whole that's why the whole thing went down. <laughs> it's because they were just programming people to like sell mortgages <laughs> to people who couldn't afford mortgages. <laughs> I didn't know any better, so like now I don't feel as bad. But like I look back and I'm like, wow, the order I get, I'm like, dang, dude, that was like a that was like you know that was weird, you know. But GE was lucky enough, like because they're smart and they have a reputation, so they got out before the countrywide thing. And they saw the writing on the wall. They shut the whole department down. I literally walked in. They locked us out. They wouldn't even let us in the building. I was like, "Well, can I get my old job back in the credit card collection department?" Nope. Six months, you can reapply. And then I had to call my mom and say, "Mom, you're right. I got fired again." <laughs> <laughs> My mom's always been right about taking the safe jobs, but like I can never play it safe. So here I am still being an entrepreneur now. So, <laughs> but so tell me what your experience was like, like at the end of the mortgage world, because like it was all bad for everybody, I think, at the end. Well, I, luckily I had some really good friends in the industry and one of them's called me up. He says, man, you got to get out. You got to get out right now. And um, some really cool stuff happened in the middle there, but uh, I got a, another good friend of mine called and said, Hey, there's this company that's kind of, it's really small, but it's, it's, I think it's going to grow pretty big. And I said, what is it? And he says, it's called bath fitter. I said, what's bath fitter? And uh, he says, it's this one day bath system. So I, uh, long story short, I, I was, became the, um, uh, marketing and, uh, sales director for bath fitter. And, uh, it, you know, I guess the rest was history. I mean, you can see where bath fitters today. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're huge. And from there I get a, a phone call and it was a uh, headhunter. It says, Hey, uh, you know, somebody, one of the people, one of the executives for Able Roof saw you speak and uh, they wanted to bring you in. And, and, you know, in Dayton, Ohio, a roofing company back then was like a husband and wife in a smoky loft. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with roofing. And finally, he got me talked into driving all the way out to Columbus the real and closer. sitting with these people. Yeah, he's the, he's the real closer. <laughs> he's he was he was good. He would not let me, he would leave me alone. Six months he called me, mm-hmm. and um, you know I went out there and and again, long story short, I I was the uh, I was the head of sales for uh, Abel and Mister Roof, and you know it's uh, you know more or less I took care of my folks there in Columbus. And then I worked with all the other sales managers and uh, you can kind of see where they are. They're the nation's largest residential roofer in the United States. And uh, so then left there and decided on my way home because I live an hour and a half away. And so my hour and a half drive home, I've gotten no less than probably 30, 40 calls. And uh, I'm like, man, this is a small world. All these people found out that I left already. And uh, I told my wife, I says, with all these people calling, I think I'm just going to try this coaching thing out. And so uh, that's kind of how I got into it. So I want to, that's really good. I want to unpack that a little bit here in a second, but let's talk about all the way up to the time to when the the Mr. Abel guy called you and like what on the personal side, um, first of all, like when did you get divorced? Like when did, when did like the divorce happen? Cause I want to talk about like what was going on in the personal life, yeah. any struggles, any type of like setbacks, because I know like in my own life, like, you know, there was always trying to be successful in business and always try to solve a problem and try to like be somebody and try to like, you know, keep trying to keep climbing. Right. But then there was always like, man, I was always burning stuff down, but like, you seem like a pretty you come from a, you know, like, you know, you seem like a pretty just, 
Good guy. Like, I don't know. Did you ever have any, like, demons? Did you ever have anything, like, bad? Like, did you ever struggle with anything personally? Like, um, not, anything you want to share really. anyway? Well, no. And, no, I mean, I, I had my fair share of uh, hiccups with, with certain drugs, but I never got yeah. hooked on anything. Uh, my brother made sure of that because he got into it pretty heavy. Um, but not because so you're an he, extrovert party or more because you're like, oh, wow, that'll take the, that, that's kind of fun. Like I, I can get out of my own little world for a little while. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> like it was, I will say on certain things, you can't, you couldn't get me to shut up, which was good, which was <laughs> different for me. So that, yeah. So then maybe that trains you on how to be a little bit more extrovert when you needed to be like, you yeah. can always find silver linings in all the bad and the good. Right. So I like to share really those stories because there's people out there that are struggling that always think people are perfect. Cause you, you know, like, you know, we, we, a lot of people on social media come across, you know, like they, they, they don't, you know, they have never had anything bad happen to them. Right. And it's like, no man, like some of the greatest people I know, they've went through some struggles and they've learned from it. And it's like, we can take a lot of lessons from that. And, um, yeah. So that's what kind of why I asked, but what about on the relationship side? Cause like, you know, I, uh, you know, as a, that, that happens, right? Like, obviously, you have an ex-wife. I mean, like, yeah, you know, like dealing with communication, right? It's usually always communication, right? Like, it's this one. Ours wasn't. We, you know, we rushed into uh, marriage. We rushed into two kids. I love my my two older kids to death, but uh, you know, we just didn't get along. And when we came back and really struggled, uh, when I had to work third shift in a in a freezer, you know, she just wasn't having it, and she thought the easy way out was to just divorce me and which was a you know because i again i'm so loyal i would never have divorced her even though i didn't yeah. like her a lot but uh no i <laughs> I, I hear you but it um you know it's funny because when as soon as that happened you, you when you get a negative thing out of your life it it your whole life can change so fast once you get, whether it's a negative friend, a negative family member, a ex-wife, whatever, and then all of a sudden things just start to happen for you really fast. It's crazy what I know you and I were talking before about the law of attraction. And that's right around when I started to learn about it was in when I got into mortgage. Uh, a guy gave me the, that, um, the CD, The Secret. Mm. And we were on our way to Nashville and I watched the whole thing on our way to Nashville and uh, I just had a different view on life at that point, and I just went straight up. No, I couldn't do no wrong. I mean, everything was just the universe a was coming. The universe was coming to you. It was wide open, man. You know, when I really started to believe in it, I even told my wife at the time, or not wife at the time, my current wife, sorry. And I told her, I says, man, this stuff is real. I says, to tell you the truth, I guarantee you when we get home today that there's going to be a check in the mail. And we got home. I had no idea. Now it was a it was a very small check. It was uh, some sort of weird refund or something. Got to start the, the manifestation. There was a small. check in the mail. Yeah, you got to start them small, and then they get bigger, right? It's got to start with that baby one first, man. Like you can This is like that's like a, those visionary skills, man. That like you know you just know that like that stuff's gonna happen. And then like your wife, like she's probably just getting to know this side of Chuck and like and she's probably like, dude, what are you talking about? She probably thought you were a little crazy. But then as she starts seeing this stuff happen. Wow, like wow, it's it, it's real, right? Like you know, because a lot of people don't realize this. Because we were talking a little bit before the show about this, and like it's a real thing. Like you can manifest things, and then like, and when you let the universe come to you, you know. And there's a lot more education around that nowadays. Back before, like you found it early. Like you, I feel you're like a pioneer in that world because like I just now 
realizing this over the last three, four, five years. You know, this sounds like to me like this happened to you like 10 years ago, like 12 years ago, 15 years ago, right? Like, so, and to me, that's kind of cool. I want to, like, I want to learn from you, man. You're like an OG. You're like an OG. You know, I, so I still teach and train this on uh, some small groups that I train. Um, and I'll explain the law of attraction this way. It's like a, a horse with blinders and you can only see what you can only manifest what you can see. And so when we first bought our first Volvo, I never saw anybody with anything more than maybe a Woody type Volvo. And so my wife wanted this S60. And so we drove all the way out to Columbus, did not see a Volvo on the road. We yeah. picked up this Volvo on our way back. Man, I'm telling you, there must have been 40 people that bought a Volvo the exact same time as us and happened to be driving in circles around us because we saw Volvos everywhere once we got it. I said, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I, I remember I bought a Hellcat like four or five years ago and like I was like so proud of myself. I didn't even know what a Hellcat was six months before I bought it because like I just like had one of those itches because I thought that a sports car was going to change my life and I thought like oh that's a cool thing to do because I remember back in my old car sales days everybody had cool sports cars I'm like oh cool I finally made a little bit of money I'm gonna buy me a sports car even though like I wasn't a car guy like I'm not I still I sold it I sold it last year but when I bought it I never even knew what a Hellcat was like I was gonna buy a Mustang or a Camaro right because like I you know like a Ford or Chevy like I dodged like I didn't even know what Dodgers were then as soon as I bought that freaking Hellcat, man, I saw I saw Challengers everywhere. Now they weren't all Hellcats, but then like then I started looking and I saw Hellcats. And I'm like, dang, dude, there's a lot more of these in Pittsburgh than I thought. Like, and then I got like tick sick of it. I was like, I don't even want it anymore. <laughs> but then that's how I also then learned about marketing and branding because like, and like when I started Big Fish, and you know what it's like these small roofing companies. Like when you start to get a name for yourself, like customers, I'll never forget my first truck on the road. I remember some. I see you everywhere. I'm thinking like, dude, I only got one truck on the road, bro. Like, how do you see me everywhere? And now, like, now I get it because like, you know, there's 25 trucks or however many we got. And, uh, you know, so it makes it a little bit more like, but like, yeah, you, you're right. Like humans, like once they see it, they can't unsee it. That's right. That's like, that's a, that's a cool analogy with like the horse blinders and the car, right? Because I think everybody can relate to the car because yeah. especially when you buy something you've never bought before. Like, and you like think it's cool and then you realize, man, dude, in some crazy marketing ploy, they made a million of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like my, we, uh, we named our, our middle child, uh, Charlotte. And now it seems like she has like three friends that are named Charlotte. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they must have all been watching Sex in the City because that's what. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, like, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. And again, you don't really like, you don't want to like call that out and say, oh, that's why. No, it was subliminal. It was yeah. subliminal. Total, you know, it's subliminal. It's somewhere because you're right. Kids' names, every 10 years, man, there's like a run on like Dakotas. Like, there's like a run on like these like Gunner, like, <laughs> like all these like Hunter. <laughs> like, I feel like they didn't make those names like my generation. <laughs> <laughs> and like all the 30 year olds are named hunter <laughs> yeah i don't know hunter baloo if you're watching we love you bro we love you we love you brother yes <laughs> what um so talk to me about let's get into sales now a little bit since we since mm -hmm. you got in that road because like you are a you got into sales because the guy chased you down basically yeah. You know, um, in roofing, at least, you know, the bath fitter, you know, that was an opportunity where someone like led you to an opportunity, you figured it out and, you know, made a name for yourself. 
than the roofing guy. Like, because he's most roofing guys don't have good sales experience, but we know what we are. Persistent is all get out. You know, even the like, and persistence can get you like, you know, you can think that you're a good salesman with persistence because, like, it's almost a mask. It's almost dangerous, right? Because, like, you can, like, th- does that make sense what I'm saying? Most people at home are probably like, what are you talking about? But, like, because me and it you are like, like very, very, like, nerdy with sales. But, like, a lot of people are just like, either overly persistent, which gets them, you know, 25% of the deals. Um, or some people are just so passive and likable that they get the other 25% of the deals. But the true master closers get 50% of the deals. And they get, them, right. they get them both, right? They get the other 50%. <laughs> they, they know what to say no matter what. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about that because I don't want to get too nerdy on that because there's a lot of YouTube content out of you out there and, you know, people can go watch all that. But, like... Tell me, like, for people that are listening, and, and not listen, sales, just so everyone knows, you guys are all salesmen that, that are listening right now, every single one of you, mm-hmm. because every time that you make a decision, you're, influ- you're, either being, you're either being the one getting sold to, or you're the one doing the sales, right? You're either doing the right. influencing, or someone's influencing you. You can kind of, like, you know, choose, and if you're, like, on the other side where you're always being sold to... Wake up, pay attention, and learn how to get what you want in life. Not because you're greedy, but because you don't want to deal with a lot of pain and suffering and conflict all the time, right, Chuck? That is absolutely right, man. If you and if you're good at sales, life is easy. It really is. Uh, you know, if you know how to sell, it's it, it. That's why we love selling so much. Is because that's the easy part of what we do every single day is going out selling, doing what we love every day and being successful because all we have to do is do it right. Talk to me about how it helped you, you know, like, cause like you started learning sales, like well into your thirties, right? Like it wasn't like you were like, did it like when you were twenties, like it was like, it was like you were in your thirties, you know, like kind of like learning this new skill, but talk to me like, yes, of course it helps you make money at your job, but like, tell me how it impacted your relationships, like with your wife, with your kids, um, learning that skill of being able to, um, help solve their problems, listening with understanding, empathy, and being able to close those gaps. And everybody thinks you're a superhero when you can do that. And this may sound somewhat superficial, but where it really helped is, is in the income really. Yeah, you know, the the money. Yeah, money makes money makes a lot of like a lot of problems. <laughs> it makes things away. a lot easier sometimes. Yeah, and uh, again, your wife at the time, your your new your your current wife probably realized that you're getting into this career, and you know she probably knows. You know, you're coming home. Hey, look, I learned this. I learned that. Don't try that crap on me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably a little bit hard with the wife because they always know what we're up to. But it does make all your relationships, especially the new relationships that you make. Like it almost like seems like man, like. Like these are like, it's not that they're easy because it takes work and skill. But once you become, once you get so good at it, you don't even know you're doing, you know, you don't even know. It's like, you're not trying anymore. Like you're just like, it's just natural. You know, my wife really never cared until recently because now I'm working with some of the top hostage negotiators in the country. Just, you know, learning from some of them, uh, working with them, people like Chris Voss and those guys, Chris Voss, you know, and learning from somebody like that. And it's, it's really based on the emotional intelligence than anything. Oh, yeah. People are like, Oh my gosh, he teaches you what to say and how to say it. It's like, yeah, but not, that's not the secret behind the negotiation. It's not manipulation. It's, it's, no, it's, it's really, not. it's really understanding who the other person is. Finally, first of all, you have to ask them enough questions to be able to get their, their pulse, their DNA. 
understand like what kind of like um, human that they are. So that way you know how to respond and talk to them because we're all, there's like a bunch of different character pro personalities and profiles. I don't know how you do you like kind of like try to, you know, I don't know if you like put people into four categories, 10 categories, three categories, two categories. It all depends on, like, on how complex you want to make your brain. But, you know, there's different, you know, the way you talk to an accountant and an engineer is a little bit different than the way that you talk to a salesman. Yeah. So right? I, again, I mean, we, we all learn from somebody. Um, mine was Dr. Tony Alessandra on the platinum rule. I mean, the director, socializer, relator and thinker, you know, and I've heard some people try to mimic his stuff and you have the owl and the eagle and all that crap or the, the colors, but the platinum rule was the initial way of taking disc and making it easy. So if you have the, the director, this is these people, they, they, um, they're decisive, you know, they're very direct type people. So are, are socializers, but socializers, they're very relationship driven directors aren't. Then you have your relators. They're the get along to get, go along to get along. You know, you can almost tell them to go get their checkbook. And I've seen that I have never done it, but I've seen it on a ride along where I knew that they were a relator and this guy named Carl uh, the lady's like, I just don't know what to do. And he's like, you know what? I know exactly what you need to do. She goes, really? He goes, yeah, just go upstairs, get your checkbook, and write me a check for 5000 She goes, that's exactly right. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, and, but again, I knew right away that she was a relator and so did he. Uh, we, we work on it all the time. And then you have your, your thinkers. These are the people when they say they need to think about it, a lot of times they really do. And so they're your, your engineers, your accountants, whatever. And we just need to know how to deal with these types of people. But again, you know, it all goes into, into sales. People think that sales is nothing but scripting. When you first come into sales, yeah, it is scripting because you got to learn the basics first. Once you get that, that foundation, and people think that the foundation is understanding sales. No, the foundation are the scripts. The, fa the, the, uh, the understanding sales, that's more advanced to tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, like human psychology. So at the end of the day, you know, and I've done a lot of um, self-development therapy. I worked with therapists, coaches and stuff like that. Well, therapy, like psychologists, like they're trained therapists, if they're really good at their job, they're the ones that actually, they, you know, they get paid 50 grand a year, you know, like, you know, because like we, have, you know, insurance and all this stuff, right? Like, you know, unfortunately, yeah. you know, like they don't make any money, but like they're really good. Mm hmm. They just don't know, like because they're not they're they're doing it as a medical service, like almost like not as like a not as a skill to get what they want in life. <laughs> you know? Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so like, but like they have they're I mean the good ones are like really good at like hostage negotiators. Like he's not getting paid a commission every time he like solves like you know he's getting the same hundred and fifty grand a year, hundred whatever the FBI or the CIA pays him. You know, or like whatever. Like they're. You know, but they're getting called out. They're getting, they're, they're doing it more for like, cause like it's fun for like, it's like, it's like almost a rush for them probably like the hostage guys. Right. I would assume. Right. Like it's more like, like some guys like to fight fires. Like some people like to deal with hostage situations. Right. So they get a thrill right. out of that. Right. They don't care about the money. They care about the thrill. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating because it's really emotional intelligence. At the end of the day, you hit it right on the head. Um, and I firmly believe, and I'm, I don't know, I'd love to hear your take on this is that emotional intelligence for the next, you know, for the first, like the last 20 years, it's all been about physical fitness and, and, and like, you know, like, you know, let's get jacked. And again, that's important <laughs> too. You got to have a healthy body. 
But like that healthy body is no great good if you're freaking like you can't deal with conflict. You know, the, all the, the world's burning down around you. You can't maintain relationships. You know, you're in fight or flight mode all the time. You know, like, you know, there's good conflict. To bad. As soon as I say conflict, most of you guys that are listening, oh, that's bad. No, man, there's good conflict. There is like good me and conflict. Chuck, we can like me and Chuck have differences. Like me, I'll never forget when we were on a panel that one time. Like I'm a two, <laughs> I'm a two call closer. You're a one call closer. Guess what? That was fun. I have to say they, that. They, listen, funny. we're all getting the same. That's I just it. stretch it out because I'm more of a brand and customer service, and I really, I believe in my, I believe in what we're doing so much. I'm okay with that customer weight, but I also get the thing like, hey, you got to strike well that iron's hot because you're right. There are some customers if you can identify that and you're trained well enough, you're right. You should be able to go do that, and I can do that. It's harder for me to train. It's harder for me personally because again, I'm not, I'm not skilled at training people like you are. Um, I'm getting a lot better, obviously. Like I'm, I, I don't give myself enough credit sometimes. I'm not good at like the, the day-to-day coaching. I can get in front of like the workshop and like tell you, but like when you're struggling every day, like on the ride along, it's just like, no, dude, count me out, man. Like I am, it's like kind of like watching, like I watch Michael Jordan, right? Like he, not, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but like when he would like, like he just give me the ball, I'll dunk it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I kind of had that mentality a little bit. Cause I was went from sales guy to CEO real quick. And I didn't have much patience in the, there wasn't much patience in the middle. Now I'm learning a lot of patience, you know, at the CEO level. Um, but yeah, I'm not a sales manager. I'm not a sales coach. I can say, I can train, I can do a workshop for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Like, and like people get a lot of value out of it because I love sales because I've done it for so long and I really like it, but not training it every day. Right. Cause that's a whole other skill set. Yeah. I got to share with you. So I was doing an onsite in Indy and, um, we were going through and the guy says, oh, what if this, what if that? And I says, well, there are jobs that you're not going to close. You're going to have to come back. He says, I knew it. Benny was right. And I says, you were at the one industry, one model, weren't you? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and it's not even that. See, like, man, I'm building a brand. So, like, I care more about, like, I, you know, like, that's the entrepreneur in me, though. And so, like. I, you know, and I'm going to read, hey, yeah, I just have a different philosophy. And again, everybody's philosophy is okay. Like, I know how to one call close. I mean, I can do it. I don't want, I, you know what I worry about? I worry about one day when I'm an old man and like there's, a you know, 3,000 salespeople in my organization and they all turn into Grant Cardone. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Like, because I don't want, like, and again, I don't think that would be bad leadership on my part, but like if I ever let that happen, but that fear and again, I love a lot. I've learned a lot about Grant Cardone, so I don't want anybody to think that like you know I've learned. There's good and bad to everything, right? So, yeah. Grant, if you just take away all the flash and the, the jets and like the like you know what you think that you think you know the sales is bad, but if you take him like his words, like if you read his books, like the books are like they're money, like they are money. You know, you might not like yeah. his delivery, but if you just read the text and interpret it how you want. And don't listen to him, like his inflection and stuff like that, because that might put you off. But his content is pretty solid. Um, if you can look, same thing with Gary Vee. Like if you can get past like the not liking the way they, they deliver it, like the content's solid. Like it is solid. It's proven. I mean, like, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> Benny, Benny is right. Like you say that, but like you're right. One call close. It doesn't matter as long as you get the job done. As long as you get the job done, you're right. You know, I will say that you can compress time a little bit if you can do more one-call closes. That's where, like, the skill is a little bit better. But, like, you become a little bit more transactional. And I think that you run the risk of always doing what's right for you and not what's right for the customers. Uh, 
So I'll still fight you on that. But again, it's healthy conflict. We're talking about conflict. See, that's the ADHD. I started a rabbit trail. You guys watched it live happen on a podcast. That's why, like, all the people that, like, like when I try to ask for my team for help, like, how can we make my podcast better? Well, if you could just stay on track, the listener would be able to stay with you. I'm like, but that's not me, man. So they're going to have to, like, have fun with it, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> Chuck, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we would have? Not really. Um, you know, in the end, we we brought up um, uh, Top Rep, and uh, Jim and I really, Jim Johnson and I really put our heart and soul into Top Rep. We have all been, or we've, him and I have been to so many different trainings, and what we did was we figured out the great things about them and the things that weren't really good about them, and we made Top Rep, and that is why... Uh, in just a, a few short years, it has become the, the industry's top training platform. And it doesn't, I mean, it was done intentionally, you know, and uh, like I had a big talk with uh, Steve Patrick. I love Steve Patrick. And he says, Chuck, man, you know, and he did it on stage in Dallas, which was, I, I am forever grateful for him. He's like, Chuck, you're, you're not just the, the best trainer in our industry. You're the best trainer in the country. You know, and he also knows that I may not be the best sales uh, person, but there's very few people that understand the training aspect, how I train a salesperson um, and how I train a sales manager. And we put it into Top Rep and it's, it's exploded. Uh, these, these companies like Eldridge and uh, I mean, I can name them all day long. But, I mean, they have exploded, and the reason why is they've taken those, those uh, aspects of it, United and some of the others, they've taken those aspects of it, put it into their business, and they're like, Chuck, we'll, we'll, we're, not, we're never turning back. I mean, this is, we're, we're dominating. There's a lot of these platforms where are like, yeah, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, we're raising our, our, uh, our close rates. But because of what we teach, how we train it, and how we get through to the uh, the owners when we're there, they're dominating their industries, which is really fun to watch. Well, yeah, because I mean your style too. Um, you know, you're not you don't come across like a Grant Cardone or a Jordan Belfort, or you know, you don't come across that. Like you just have a common sense approach, right? And uh, that's why that's what I like about you. You know what I mean? Like I know we have different philosophies sometimes, but I, I do love that you're authentic to you and you're real. And that's why I was glad to have you on the podcast today to get people to see more of the real side of you. Right. Um, Thank Cause you. you know, there's a lot of people that you watch on YouTube that you just, I mean, you don't know, like there's so much stuff on YouTube and I see you doing more content. So I'm proud of you for that. You know, I watched, I've watched you kind of like, you know, elevate the personal brand a little bit. And, uh, I see you on TikTok, which I do a terrible job of trying to get one. It's, I'm still trying it's, to see it. It is so hard to get all this content out, man. Like, man, that's like a full-time job. You know, it doesn't really, cause I like being with the people, like, you know, doing all that stuff on the social media. Like, I feel like I have to, but like, it's not, uh, it's not, you know, I guess it's more one to many, which is which is better than one-on-one because, you know, after being in the, in the box in sales and only dealing with one customer at a time, you know, after you do that for, I mean, I've been doing sales and like I said, 12 years old. I mean, if you count me selling baseball, you know, candy for baseball, I mean, shoot, I'm 41, like, and now I'm selling people and coming to work for my company. So, I mean, I'm always selling, you know, it's not as transactional anymore, but like when you do transactional sales for so long and then you have bigger goals and bigger dreams, it's like, sometimes you have to elevate and you have to understand at a higher level. 
And that's what you've been able to do. You've been able to like, you have more of an awareness of the psychology, the training, like what it's like to be transactional, what it's like to be long lasting. Like what, it, like you understand all these different pieces and parts. You understand the different psychologies of humans, how they interact. And that's so important. And, uh, and in sales, like you've been able to basically write your own dream life, you know, and uh, like you, you do, like you, you get invited to all the cool places, man. You're in Cabo like all the time. Like yeah. I tell my wife, I said, I'm like, man, listen, I said, and you're a guy like a real life guy that's doing it. Like, you know, I, you know, I'm a big Gary V fan, Tony Robbins. I see what those guys do. Right. But like, I oh, like Chuck Toki, like he's like, like they're inviting him to Cabo. And like, you know, if he wants to take the family with him, I'm sure he can. If they want to stay at home because they're tired of going to conferences and events in Cabo, like, sure. But like, hey, the, the opportunity is there to go to Cabo to like teach sales. And, yeah. you know, the, you know, the podcast, it. the podcast is over when my screen goes out because I had the thing on too long today. But hey, no one watches YouTube anyway. Actually, I think everybody watches YouTube now. <laughs> at at I one get, point. I, yeah. I get, but I get a lot of stats, too, that say they listen to the Apple and Spotify. So if you guys are getting value out of this, if you have any sales questions for Chuck, Leave him in the comments. I'll make sure that he answers them. And if he doesn't answer them, I'll answer them. And then he'll he'll rebuttal me. And then That's we'll have right. a healthy conflict. And we'll get into some sales tension, you know. So uh, I look I, forward to it. I Listen, it's been great having you on. There's five questions I ask every guest, though, before we wrap the show up. So imagine that you're the last person left on Earth. Hmm. And you have to go to, like, they're going to, like, you're going to, like, leave Dayton, Ohio they're going to go put you on an island somewhere. Like, you're just going to, you know, you're going to be like Wilson, right? You know, and like, is that what it was called? Like, you know, the Tom Hanks movie? You know, you're going to be on an island by yourself. You can take one book with you. What book are you going to take with you? I think we, I think we dropped out. What was the question? What book are you going to take with you? Ah, uh, what book? So, I am a huge Patrick Lencioni fan. Well, me too. So, Which uh, one, man? I got a bunch of them, man. His are all good. I mean, I really like uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, but the one that really hits home for me and the one I train out of a lot is um, the Ideal Team Player. Yes. Humble, Hungry, and Smart, man. Yeah. I, I live that book, and I love it. And so um, I, I'm right there. I, a good friend of mine, I think everybody knows him, uh, uh, Nathan Tebedo. He says it best. He says, most books should have been an article. And I believe it too. I mean, people write books so that they can be called an author sometimes. But um, but Patrick, you know, he's Patrick Lincioni. I, I talk about him like we know. I know the guy, but um, he is very authentic. He's very good. Any books, any book he writes, I'm on. So I don't know if you know this, but I'm a big EOS guy, and Gino Wickman and Patrick Lencioni yeah. are like boys because Patrick Lencioni like is like all through Gino Wickman stuff. And that's how I was introduced to Pat. Well, you know, I dropped out of college. I've never read books until like three years ago, four years ago, when I needed to start leveling up. And that really, every book that he has, um, I really like the new one, The Working Genius, and like the whole like you know uh -huh. um, thing with that. It's kind of like they're building um, a program off of Working Genius, just like they did off of Five Dysfunctions of a Team for facilitators and like team building and like okay. really getting to understand your leadership team and, and solve conflicts. And and, they, and just so everybody, you know, I'm nerding out with you right now. And this isn't a sales pitch for Patrick, but like his books are all like good, like fiction, they're fictional stories, but they obviously can be based on real life stuff. Um, and the way he writes them is just so funny. And so, especially if you've led a team and you've been like, you know, or a family, listen, just like here, you don't have to be a business person to read this. 
like read it and pretend like it's your family and there's like five or six of you and like he just paints the picture so perfectly and then he always wraps it up at the end with some lessons and then like it's just genius and they're short like they're only like four hour reads you know and like you know and again they make sure i've read five dysfunctions of a team play seven times yeah you know i just told our boy reggie brock about this guy yeah, you know, no, Reggie's excited about him. I mean, like, I'm telling you, man, like, that guy, he's got a gift. All right, so that was the book. You're allowed yep. to take one movie with you. What movie are you taking with you, Chuck? Top Gun, man. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. And they're like three now or something. <laughs> I don't know. That guy keeps coming out with sequels. Top Gun. All right, that's cool. Um, you're allowed to put, a, you get one restaurant you're allowed to put. It could be someone, it could be a famous restaurant. It could be a little hole in the wall somewhere. I know you've been all over the world. Where, where, restaurant you put on your island it'll be a jeff ruby it's right here in cincinnati ohio jeff ruby is the best what is it like a steakhouse it's a steakhouse yeah okay yeah i've never been there so i have to check it out if you ever yeah it's amazing to, to figure out where i'm ever going to want to go to cincinnati but we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. that's because i'm an ohio guy so it's like i tried to leave ohio <laughs> All right, so I, I did the book, I did the movie, I did the restaurant. All right, you're allowed to go on one trip anywhere in the world for a week. Where are you going to go? So I've always wanted to go to Bora Bora. I've always, I, I don't know if it's just because it's like the other side of the world or what, but I've always wanted to go to Bora Bora. Can I, can I, be, can I, can I play salesman with you right now on the call? Sure. All right. So what's holding you back from going to Bora Bora? More or less, it's time. The time. other thing is, is probably time, the fifteen thousand like, dollars. Time, 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 like, like for like the whole week or ten days or fourteen days or like you don't want to be on a plane for a day to get there. Which which part of I, the time? I don't like being on a plane for more than maybe four or five hours. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that, I definitely can I can definitely understand that. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you say like Bora Bora, what about Bora Bora like really gets you excited? Like what part of it gets you excited? You know, it, it's just the, the, I, I love to relax uh -huh. anytime that I go on vacation. Uh, it's either a, a, an adventure or a relaxation, but most of the time it's relaxation. It gives me that opportunity to think about what's going to happen next. Uh, I do love to go to Mexico, okay. um, you know, and so again, it would be one of those things where, you know, beauty and, and thought provoking more than anything. So where's your favorite place in Mexico? Uh, so I really like going to Cabo. Mm, Cabo. And I what love. about Cabo? Do you really love that you think Bora Bora, like the Bora Bora, like kind of like, uh, is like, like what part? Well, is it the tiki, the is it the tiki huts on the water? Is it the crystal clear water? Is it the, the crystal people? clear water is really, yeah. And so like, what, so what about Bora Bora do you think is so much better than, than, than Cabo or, or where do you, yeah, like what's like what's so much? I really don't know. I've never been there. All right, so it's more of like a FOMO thing. <laughs> it is. It is a fear. It's a marketing thing. They've like been marketing it well. There. They've been marketing it well to you because if you really are in the right, because like, like, let me ask you another question, if if it's okay. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't make it to Bora Bora before you die, are you going to have a regret? No. Okay. So it doesn't really seem like I can help you solve this problem today. Um, the, the gap is the gap isn't big enough. Like again, now, now I'm going to get back out of like the zone mode. So the I listeners, not there. there's not enough pain. There's not enough motivation. There's not enough pain. Like 
And so, like, he's probably not going to do it. Um, people, like, I can't sell him a trip to Bora Bora right now because, like, Cabo, <laughs> does, it was Cabo, right? Is that the word you like to go to in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, like, that's not going to be, it's, there's just not enough of a reason yet. Now, if we can somehow, if he can be influenced somehow, read a magazine article, if something else attracts him to it, or, like, maybe uh, Cabo, like, has a bad experience. All of a sudden, like, it could shift him. But right now, he's not in the right state. He'll never buy Bora Bora right now. Just to let everybody know. <laughs> but that's how you take somebody through a process, right? Because if they're not qualified, if they're not qualified, like, because I'm trying to qualify you to see if we can even do business. I'm not even going to give you a price on the Bora Bora trip. Because, like, I don't, it doesn't matter what it costs. Like, it's not a cost thing right now. Because, like, it's not tied to money. I'm starting to nerd out a little bit. Sorry about that. All right, last question. <laughs> You can you can spend 24 hours with any human, past, you know, or present, somebody famous, somebody that you know, like, who are you spending 24 hours with? Say it one more time. You went out on me again. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the web, but, like, this is all recording, so it'll be good. Um, okay. So you can spend 24 hours with one human, right? You're on your own little island. You're by yourself. Man, you could, like, you know, someone in history, somebody you look up to. It could be, like, your next-door neighbor. I don't care who it is. Like you tell me, what who are you gonna spend twenty four hours with and pick their brain and just spend time with them? You know, somebody I've always wanted to meet. I I've listened to his stuff, Les Brown. If I could just spend twenty four hours with the guy, that would be awesome. It was um, uh, ET, but I've spent a lot of time with ET actually. Uh, so, uh, but uh, Les Brown is just. I think that he's he's somebody I'd love to kind of get to know a lot more. All right. Well, all right. I won't go through the same exercise that I just did for Bora Bora, but we could probably make that work. Cause you just gotta, just, you know how to do it. You just manifest it, man. Like you, you have just, to manifest it. Yeah. You, I you know. Have, you have to, you have to, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. You just have yeah. to, you just have to figure out how to get in the same room, man. And next thing you know, like next thing you know, you guys will be BFFs. I was going to say his, his daughter lives in, uh, and very popular in uh, Columbus. So I got a chance to meet her. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you to him and never really got a chance to. You don't want it bad enough. I, you know, you're probably right. When it comes right down to it, man, I have done some cool stuff in my life, man. It, and I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever. I know, but I want to try to find that one thing that Chuck really wants and I want to see Chuck get it. Like I want, uh, like that's man. the podcast that we need to do. Cause like, I'm going to, I'm going to go deeper with you next time. If I haven't get you back on. I'll tell you, outside of my family, if there's one thing that I really want is I want to see top rep manifest into the uh, the top training platform in the world. And it will be at some point. Like all industries. I'm looking at all sales industries. Wow. So you are committed. So like you're young, you're you're hungry, and you just you just put that vision out there. Now now it's on now. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever said that anywhere, but this is it. That's the first. That was the first step. You know, now now you just gotta say it again and again, and then like get some people behind. Yeah, and then they just start coming, man. That's right. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. How somebody follow you? Get a hold of you on social media? Reach out to you? What's the best way to contact Chuck? Uh, the easiest way to contact me is uh, either through uh, LinkedIn or Facebook Messenger. Um, but um, look me up on uh, on Facebook. Just Chuck Toki the fan page. Um, that's the easiest way as well as, uh, just, you know, going through top rep, which is toprep training.com.
Cool. Well, listen, it's been awesome uh, having you on and I uh, look forward to seeing you at some more events in the industry and I uh, appreciate the friendship over the years. And uh, we'll see you guys on another episode of the Big Fish Cares podcast. Every Friday, we drop a new one. See you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com. Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.